Well, as we stand in what little time before you, we pray that the Lord would continue to bless His people this morning. And Paul said to the Colossian church that when this epistle is read among you, that calls that it would be also read among the church at Laodicea. So reading the Scriptures is very important, even in a church setting. Paul said to a young man by the name of Timothy, give attendance to reading, the exhortation, the doctrine. And so it is important, and I'm encouraged to hear that uh, some of the younger brethren will follow with good reading from the Scriptures. We also pray that the Lord would bless the reading of it, that the word that is spoken would uh, produce abundant fruit in the hearts of His people, that the Spirit of God would be demonstrated through the power of His Holy Spirit as that Word touches our hearts. The Word of God has an amazing quickening power for the child of God. We often think about the quickening spirit, a dead sinner, raised to life, if you will. But we also know that David said, Quicken thou me according to thy Word. Each one of us needs the Word of God in our lives. And I'm not talking about Sunday morning only. And I've been guilty of that, as Brother Steve would often uh, remind me, that we need to read on a regular basis. We need to write, read the Bible slowly. It's not like any other book, like a novel, magazine, newspaper. It's to be read by, the, by God's people slowly. It's intended uh, to impart wisdom. There's dark sayings he refers to in the book of Proverbs. But under the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit... He can awaken us, children of God, and give us light and understanding. Consider what I say, the Apostle Paul said, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. It's a spiritual book, but we also have been given spiritual minds. And by that we can discern the distinction of God's Word. So, this morning, um, I'd like to just behold the cross for a little while. And see there the amazing love of God, how rich, how pure, how immeasurable is the love of God. But how do we define it? How do we capture that? If we were to look into the sky at night and see the stars, the billions and billions of stars, just within our view, just within our focus, the claim is made, I don't know if this is right or not, but I've heard it. Maybe Brother Steve said it, I don't know. But the claim is made it would take you 2,000 years just to count the stars within your scope of eyesight. It's immeasurable. When the Bible measures the love of God, it measures it at the cross. And now the Holy Spirit gives us a little word to denote how deep, how far, how broad the love of God is. He said, for God so loved the world. That little word tells us how immeasurable God's love is. But how do we relate to it? Now, we understand that God loved us in Christ in the sense that He forgave us our sins. We can identify with that. Feeling the pardon. Feeling the fact that God is faithful and just. I'm so thankful that God doesn't change His mind. You know, you and I change our minds frequently. There's been times in my life that you could tell me um, or you couldn't tell me that I wasn't a child of God. But there's times in my life when I doubt it myself and I need the reassurance of God's Holy Spirit. You know, we're, we're, we live in this sin-laden body that often uh, brings us down low. It reduces our faith in a sense, the flesh, the weakness, the passions, the lust, the pride, the pride, pride in and of itself, the greatest sin in the Bible. Um, often brings us down to the point where we question even our own position before God. So having those feelings is not awkward. It's, not, it's, it's regular. It's almost a recurring thing in our lives. And so we need to all the more dwell on the Word of God, believe the Word of God, trust the Word of God, even when it's contrary to our own natural inclinations, to trust put our life in the hands of God, which is not easy. And so when we behold the love of God, we want to define it. Yes, we can identify with it, yes, as sinners, but it's still difficult to grasp, having said all that. I think when I see the love of God in Christ, I see Him there at the cross. 
And two of the most prominent features there that I see at the cross, at least among the seven sayings in which he broadcasted for our learning and for our benefit, were two particular things that denote love and forgiveness, maybe in ways that we can understand it. When he looked at his mother, here he is at the cross, suffering for the sin of his people, anticipating the most difficult time in the course of eternity. I don't know how we could measure that, but having anticipating the separation of his father's love, for which he had never known before. The father and the son coexisting from eternity. Never beginning, never no ending, never separated. And yet there, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, having taken upon himself a body like yours and ours, so that he could redeem those who were under the wrath of God by taking upon himself their likeness. You know, it wasn't a, there's nothing else or no one else that could redeem a man but a man. So we understand that as an important doctrinal point. Um, and so we see the Lord Jesus Christ humiliated by taking himself the form of a servant, the likeness of a man, the likeness of sinful flesh, taking upon himself our sin, having no sin of his own, and thereby suffering the anguish and the separation of God's presence, having never ever endured that. And so we see that love displayed. While he was on the cross, while he was in great agony, he wasn't thinking about himself, was he? You know, you and I might be thinking about um, a lot of the feelings that might be associated with being plated with a crown of thorns, mocked, spit at, hit, brutalized. We might be thinking differently. Obviously, we would. Bitterness, wrath, anger, revenge, justification. In other words, you know, paying sin for sin, if in a sense, you know, we feel like we're being abused. We want to abuse back. You see, we react differently. The Lord didn't do that. He thought of others. He looked at His mother. That is the Virgin Mary, the one who raised Him as a child. He learned obedience through the things which He suffered. The Lord Jesus was a little lad, and He grew up in the wisdom and stature of wisdom. He learned things like you and I learned. He was obedient, if you will, by the things which he suffered. He learned what it meant to be human, to thirst, to hunger, to seek, to find, shelter, peace, love. He felt those things that you and I felt. He felt the infirmities and the weaknesses of the flesh. This is what we mean. He had no sin, and yet he learned obedience. And so he had a mother that taught him, a father. He worked in the carpenter shop. But from the cross, he beheld his mother. And even there, suffering the anguish of sin, he cared for that dear soul. And this is what I mean. When we can see the love of God displayed at the cross for others. Now, you and I have that feeling. We feel in our hearts that love. We're drawn to you, each one of you, because of love. This love, we love he that is begotten of God loveth them also who are begotten. Isn't that the way it says? In other words, God places us, those of us who have been isolated by sin, separated in love, selfish, proud, arrogant, want to stand alone, want to do it alone, don't need God, reject God, reject others. We have been brought by God's grace into this fellowship with one with another. First vertically and then horizontally with one another. And so it's, you know, God's people love one another. There it is at the cross. Behold thy mother, as he looks to John. Looks to his mom, says, behold thy son. He's preparing. You know, we don't need a degree to figure this out. There's no secrecy to the plain, explicit teachings of God's Bible. You look at that episode and you wonder, well, what does this all mean? What, is there some secret passage to an unknown truth that Jesus is conveying somehow as he beholds his mother in need. No. It's as simple as you caring for someone else. It's as simple as you feeling love and interest. And I'm not talking about that which is of the world, which you see on the 
face of People's Magazine. That's nothing but lust, passion, greed, covetousness, proudness, pride. I'm talking about love that unites one another through the Spirit of God. And Jesus looks at his mother and cares for her. Now, you're not going to be alone because John's going to live with you. John, this is your mother from here on out. You take care of her. Under the worst case of scenarios, she was, the, she was going to be provided for. You know, that's, they beheld him. They beheld him at the cross. In all his anguish. In all his anguish. You know, there's never a time in your life, no matter what you're suffering, that you can't look and behold the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's prevailed to open the seals. And he's dominant. He's king of kings. Victorious. A conqueror. Riding on that white horse. But when we behold him, we don't see him as a lion, do we? We don't look in the face of a lion. He's not to us a lion, but he is to us a lamb, slain, compassionate, caring. You see him? Behold him. Behold. Amazing. I stand amazed. I stand amazed at the love of my Savior as I behold him, caring, compassionate. So I see that first and foremost. That when we define love, we see Him caring for others, fellowship. I believe the church is the greatest spot on earth where we can experience the fellowship of our brothers and sisters. And if something stands in the way of that, something is wrong. It's like going to the doctor and asking the doctor to fix whatever is wrong. In a child of God's life who lives an isolated experience apart from the children of God, apart from the church, something's wrong. We've got to go to the doctors. We've got to find out what's wrong. And we can look in the journals of his medicine and find out exactly what it is. What sin are we harboring that prevents us? Now, in our course of nature, we're, as I said, by nature, we're very isolated. We pride ourselves in going it alone by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This is contrary to Christianity. Had that been the case, the Lord would never have reached down to John and said, Behold your mother. He would have said, you do it your own way and take pride in it. No, he didn't say that. He conveyed a mother's and a father's love for their children. And he was torn apart by the separation. He knew their anguish of heart. He would never experience the relationship with them as he once did. When he rose from the dead, he ascended one high. And that relationship, that personal relationship that he had would never be known again for the disciples. And that was very difficult on them, very difficult. And he knew that. And so when he said, my peace I leave with you, he meant that. He did. He meant that he would be with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Brother Steve preached to us last week from John chapter 14, he needed... He needed to go away. Why? Because unless he went away, the Comforter would not come and comfort them in their need. And so secondly, if I may add, in addition to that saying on the cross where he beholds his mother and beholds John and shows that fellowship, he says something else which also conveys to us maybe a little bit in terms of understanding how great this love is. And that is... This phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, if there's any one word that keys in on the disposition of ourselves, it is um, ignorance. It's misunderstanding. It's, you know, knowing not what we are doing. The Lord said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I am so happy when I think of the cross, I see not only the wisdom of God displayed. The greatest attribute, if you will, displaying the wisdom of God, or the greatest event, the greatest action of God displaying His wisdom is at the cross. And there's something in addition to that, which I really like to grab a hold of if I could, is found in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8 where... The apostle said that God, the Father, hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. It's an old word, I guess. 
but it's got a lot of meaning in it. And so I see at the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them. He's basically demonstrating what he's there for. He's redeeming his people from their sin. He's honoring the Father by those words, forgiveness. And that's what I mean by prudence, because he's taken all the exercise of his wisdom and demonstrating it in such a way to avoid any miscalculations, any risk, any deviations. He's designed it perfectly, perfectly. That prayer, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Was true, was accurate, was demonstrated by the omnipotent designer, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so powerful. But how do we deal with it? How can we forgive others? How do we do it? I tell you, there's only one way. You can't do it in yourself. You cannot. You cannot do it in yourself. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is the greatest act that we can demonstrate in the likeness. Be tender-hearted, the Apostle Paul said. Be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even God, even as God for Christ's sake forgiven you. You know, when we stand in, in front of a thrice holy God and we feel ourselves forgiven because the word says it, that's powerful. That's powerful. But how do we do it? How can we forgive 70 times 7? Mark of the uh, natural world in which we live is an unforgiving spirit, unmerciful, implacable, unrelenting, unwilling, will not, choose, will not, reject rebellion, you see. And we're in this world... And we have fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. And we learn how to do it. We cannot do it ourselves. As much as we try. I think one of the greatest illustrations of forgiveness, and I've brought this out before, maybe not this one particular point, but it's a remarkable history of, uh, of something that took, bl- took place many years ago, but I often refer to it as a way to remind me of how it is and what it means to forgive one another, even as Christ hath for, has forgiven us, okay? Uh, that last, uh, last scripture, verse 30 of Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to look it up later. We're also in John 19 in terms of the Lord conveying his love to his mother and his, and his apostle whom he loved. And I believe we're in... Um, the other portion of Scripture where it says, Father, forgive them, is in Luke. But in either case, one of the most remarkable illustrations that I can recall right now, I'm sure you can recall one, is found back in the 1940s in, in Holland when uh, Germany, of course, invaded the Netherlands. I guess we know it now as then. Um, the Dutch, Holland, and Rotterdam, and all those areas over there that make up this, group, this area. He had promised he wouldn't do it. The queen went on the radio and said uh, she feels assured that there won't be no German invasion. However, she gets on a plane and flies out of there. That tells you something. And it was Casper Ten Boone that looked at his two daughters, Betsy and Corey, and said, I don't believe it. I believe Germany's coming. And in fact, they did. And that's 1940. So we find ourselves in 1944. It's been about a year and a half. They've been stowing people away in their place, in their home, on the top floor. Architect came in, built a wall, brick, built bookcases beside it with all the trimmings. Corey said it looked like 150 years old. The house was about 500 years old. And so it really had a look. They wouldn't see this. The Gestapo would never find this secret hiding place. And so for a year and a half, they're hiding Jewish people in this little uh, section behind this fake facade wall in about a two-foot space. It was enough for a narrow mattress for one person to lay and six others to stand. And they entered it through a two-by-two panel that they removed in the bottom of a bookshelf, and they went in there on their knees to safety. It was a hiding place. 
On one particular occasion, if I recall, a man came. Of course, Corey was sick. She was in bed. She had the influenza. She tossed and turned. She was very sick. She couldn't entertain anybody, but this particular man wanted to see her and her alone. Now, Betsy, her sister, I find very remarkable. I think she was a real source of comfort, of charity. She was a real leader. And I believe Corey, who eventually wrote the book that I read, learned a lot from Betsy because she was a real Christian conveying that attitude of forgiveness. Well, this man came to the door. I want to see Corey. I want to see the the house leader, if you will. He didn't look her in the eyes. He said, my wife has been arrested by the Gestapo. And there's a police officer there that if we bribe him, we'll release her. I need 600 guilders. And I guess that's money. I don't know the measurement of it, but it's a lot of money. She didn't have the money. How am I going to find 600 guilders? But that value to her was very immense. A woman arrested, the possibility of release. And so she said, come back in an hour and a half. And she consulted her friends had her own account in twos, go to the bank, get whatever she could get to withdraw. And with the help of friends, within an hour, she had 600 guilders. The man came back, and he gave her the money. It was the last stitch of money she had. Within five minutes, the Gestapo surrounded the house, entering it, because that man betrayed her. Later on in her experience, she will learn that this man was of her own countrymen. He betrayed her. As a result, she went to concentration camp. She went to three different ones. First the prison, then two other concentration camps. Very serious. Ravenbuck was one of the worst ones for women. Well, anyway, while she was there, one of the locals who knew her came to her and revealed to her who it was that betrayed her. She didn't know up until that point. We're probably talking ten months later. Her father had died. The first stop at the prison, he didn't last but 10 days. He was 84 years old. He was a weak man. But he was a devoted man. He was a Christian man. And he was unwilling to relent. And so as a result, his life, he died. Now everybody knew him. He was a very popular watchmaker and had a store right there on the first floor of the house. But when he died, he died in a corridor of some hospital. Nobody knew his name. He died a forsaken man. He was buried in some place that they didn't really know afterwards to, tell, you know, to inform the family. They didn't really know fully where he was buried. But God knew. God knew. Betsy died. She was a very weak person in Ravenbrook. She died literally of hunger, starvation. That's just on the surface of some of the things they had to suffer. Well, this woman came to her and told her who had betrayed her. And what she said in her book reveals a lot. She said, I hated this man with great bitterness. And she wrote this man because this man at this point in his life was actually in prison. Because it was determined. See, after the war, there was a lot of people that supported the Nazis and the Gestapo had to answer had to answer for their sins. And they were brought in before the court, and they were destined, they were locked up and imprisoned and destined to die, executed. And so this man who had betrayed Corey was now in prison, and she wrote him, she wrote him a letter. It's because of you, I don't have my father. It's because of you, my sister is dead. It's because of you, I have spent this time in concentration camps. She could not forgive that man. But something happened. She saw herself before the cross. She saw herself a guilty sinner. And that if God forgave her, she could forgive that man. But she could not do it of her own volition and her own will, power, her own whatever she had in her. She could not do it. But she said this, and she wrote this man, she said, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did. I I can't do it, she said, but through Christ I can. I cannot do it, but through Christ I can. That's how we forgive others. That's how we do it. We forgive others through the, the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, that man was destined to die in a week, which he did. He was executed within a week of receiving that letter back from Corey Ten Boone. But he wrote back to her a letter before he died. And he told her that your letter helped me understand the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he sought God's forgiveness of his sin before he went to the gallows. And he conveyed to her that he, in fact, received it. I don't know, you know, how to get out of this world alive without knowing the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. To stand before him in my own sin would be a dreadful thought. I'm so thankful for the peace that passes all understanding. And I believe in those two ways, the Lord Jesus Christ forgiving that man, forgive them for they know not what they do, that thief on the cross, and sharing his love to others, the fellowship, the charity, the contribution, love one to another. I believe in those two things. I can see in some measure the love of God in Christ. This is John 3, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. I think that it's just, it's crazy that something that seems so simple as us accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, He gives us a reward to be with Him for eternity in paradise for something that's so easy that really anybody can do. I just think that's crazy. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 8, I'll start reading in verse 28. So it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. This is a, a very familiar and comforting uh, passage of Scripture. Um, it's one of these that's uh, just tremendously good news for sinners. Um, I kind of want to read backwards through from verse 30 to 29 and say some things that this verse doesn't say. Um, it doesn't say, whom are just, them he glorified. Uh, it doesn't say, whom accepted the call, he justified and glorified. Um, it doesn't say those that sought their destiny, he called. And it doesn't say those that knew him, he predestinated. It says, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. It says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 16. For the children being not yet born, 
neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Um, So I'll start at the beginning, uh, because I think verse 11 is very important, especially to uh, people who constantly ask about predestination and um, especially the question of children not being yet born. And especially uh, we had Danny talk about the issue of abortion and uh, just children who miscarriages, uh, young children who get sick. Um, it It's not, it tells you right here, uh, it's not what we do. Uh, we can always try our best, but um, like Brother Stephen Quino said, uh, we're in sin-laden bodies and we can't avoid sin. Um, it's something that we're going to have to deal with from day one till our last day. Uh, but luckily, it's not up to how we respond to those obstacles. It's up to God who chose us in the beginning and yeah. he's known. And that's something Brother Andrew talked. It doesn't necessarily pinpoint whom or like what group of people, but it's just the fact that knowing that it could be anybody and... I think that's important to know because sometimes I feel as humans we judge too too harshly and we think that we know, uh, but we don't know. Um, it's all up to God. You know, we might be, there might be someone who does good every day or something that we might perceive as good. Um, and hopefully uh, they're one of God's elect, but it's truly only up to God. Um, I think it's very interesting that it says in verse 13, as it was written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And it's an interesting concept to think of God as hateful. But I also think that uh, it's, it's, it's comforting almost. Uh, for example, again, Brother Stephen Queen said it about the lady who hated the man who betrayed her. Um, it's... Hatred is a, a feeling that, you know, we'll all have to deal with. And luckily, we do have Jesus Christ who, who is forgiving and allows us to forgive through these, these feelings of hatred. Uh, verse 14, it's actually, I think there's, the question is rhetorical. Is there unrighteousness with God? It's like, of course not. And he knows everything and what's good and bad and what's the best. Um, and then 15 and 16 really just kind of hone in on the point that uh, it's, it's not what we do. It's, uh, uh, verse 16 says, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. So it's not up to us. It's up to God that showeth mercy. Uh, whom he will have mercy, he will have mercy. And who will have compassion, he will have compassion. It just really uh, hones down on the whole predestination and God's elect and that he knows what he's doing and we're lucky to have his word and have guidance. We got Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, and even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. In parentheses, by grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So this brings to mind a couple of ideas. The first one that struck me was this morning. I I forgot to set my alarm this morning, last night, and... I think it was by the grace of God ordaining the light of the day that I managed to wake up just in time to get here at 1030. So that's like a mundane example. But a more serious example would be I have a a good friend. His name is Teal, and he's Dutch, actually. Um, And he's he's a fisherman. He goes out on a boat in Bristol Bay, Alaska, and he and he fishes for salmon, the best salmon in the world. Now, if Teal were to fall off the fishing boat... They would have to call the Coast Guard if they realized he was lost. And the Coast Guard would come in a helicopter and they would find him floating out in the middle of Bristol Bay, Alaska. And the Coast Guard does not depend on Teal accepting their help to save him. It is not Teal's works that will get him out of the water. (laughs) It is the works of the Coast Guard and really the grace of God that works in men and has worked in this great Christian civilization that we have built that results in a Coast Guard saving my friend Teal. And I think that's what this is trying to say. So thank you. Appreciate your prayers for a few more minutes. Appreciate these young men uh, coming up and sharing some verses that uh, are principal points of doctrine that are precious to us. Uh, And ask that you pray for these young men uh, in their studies of the Word. Uh, They are great witnesses uh, for... uh, our church and for their families, and I'm thankful for the young men that are here. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the eighth verse says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Occasionally, I've attended maybe a funeral or or heard a message on the radio or television or read um, a sermon. And especially at funerals, oftentimes the, the, uh, the topic comes up uh, in a funeral service. Oftentimes they know there's a, there's a captive audience. They know that uh, folks are coming from an, an emotional standpoint. And occasionally... The messenger will attempt to use that time, seize that opportunity to gather in and populate heaven, to get folks to accept the Lord and to really capitalize on the emotional state, uh, on the captive state uh, and, and, and attempt to cause folks to respond in such a way that they'll accept Jesus Christ and then heaven will be populated. I had an aunt. She lived to be in her 90s. And it troubled her in her latter years about her nieces and nephews. She was an old maid school teacher and never married, but she had lots of nieces and nephews. And she was very troubled in her life in her 80s and 90s. Because she felt like that that she needed to make sure that all of those that were kin to her had accepted the Lord. And she spent many years with great fear worrying about those that had not accepted the Lord. When I hear a message, I I, I try to take uh, the philosophy of uh, uh, Sonny Piles, Elder Sonny Piles. I, when I hear a message, no matter who's preaching, I try to chew up the chicken and spit out the bone. 
I try to get something out of it. I don't attempt to pick it apart, but I try to get something out of it. But I will say at the end of it that I'm not from an arrogant standpoint, not from a bold standpoint, but from a thankful and humble standpoint, I'm thankful for the message of God's amazing and sovereign grace. And it tells us that if you know the truth, like these young men have read right here, if you know the truth, it says that the truth itself will set you free. What does it set you free from? It sets you free from the bondage that you think you are, that, that, that someone's salvation is dependent upon you. There's a great freedom. I, I came to the understanding of the doctrines of grace when I was 15 years old. I challenged it uh, when I first heard about it. I'd never been exposed to it. And when I began to hear about the doctrines of grace and begin to read the doctrines of grace, I began to inquire with my grandparents and friends that were around. And all of a sudden, it was like flipping a light switch on. It became just as clear. There have been a lot of things that I've doubted in my life since then, but I've never doubted about how God saves his people. I've doubted sometimes whether or not I'm one of his but I've never doubted about how God saves his people. And I'm telling you, if God flips that light switch on in your brain, and when you're reading his word, and you realize that your salvation is by his grace and not by your works, good works, bad works, any kind of works, and you give him all the glory and all the praise, it'll make a big difference to you right then, And it'll make a big difference to you for the rest of your life. It'll make a big difference to you in how you view God. It'll make a big difference to you in how you view yourself. It'll make a big difference in how you view his word when you read his word. If you know that God is sovereign and God is in control. Now he says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. Brother Mark prayed a a wonderful prayer, and he mentioned mercy and grace. Mercy, and I'm thankful we have a merciful God. Mercy is God sparing us on what we actually deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve the wrath of Almighty God because of our sins, because of our disobedience. But God's mercy in our life keeps us from getting what we deserve. What is grace? Grace is God's gift of giving us something that we don't deserve. God sparing his wrath upon us is his mercy. And God giving us salvation is his grace. God bestows his grace upon us and therefore we have salvation because he gives us something. Mercy, he keeps us from getting what we do deserve. And grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. And it's all of him. So when he starts out here in chapter two, I love chapter one as well. I I love those verses that these brethren have read, but he starts out and, and, and this just really puts it in perspective. It makes it just as clear as it can be. But did you know that it takes God's mercy and his grace and the Holy Spirit to understand it? It does. And you hath he quickened. Well, wonder why we have to be quickened. Wonder why we need to be quickened. What does quickening mean? If you look up the term quickened, it just simply means you are made alive. Why do you need to be made alive? He's talking about from a spiritual standpoint. You need to be made alive from a spiritual standpoint because spiritually speaking, we are dead. Now, I've been to a lot of funeral homes and I've witnessed a lot of folks after they passed away. And I have yet to see someone that was physically dead from a natural standpoint have any movement whatsoever. I've never seen a dead person move their little finger. I've never seen a dead person respond. You can talk to that dead person As in the South, you'd say till the cows come home and you're not going to give life to that dead person. If that dead person is dead, there's not a response. Can I take it a step further? 
that dead person that's dead spiritually. Now, we may be, from a natural standpoint, have natural life. But this is talking about the inward man, the spiritual man on the inside. If we're dead spiritually, we don't have the ability to do anything. We don't even have the ability to respond to the gospel if we're spiritually dead. If we are spiritually dead, what we need is not necessarily the gospel. What we need if we're spiritually dead is spiritual life. And the author of that is God. He plants his spirit within us at some point in time between conception. And by the way, if you wonder what God's view of life is, God views life at conception. And we have evidence of that because God planted his spirit in someone that was not yet born. So just because you haven't, uh, the mother hasn't carried the child uh, to full term, God, that's not a requirement for God. God can even plant his spirit within that individual before they're naturally born. It's an individual in God's eyes. And it ought to be in ours. Now look what he says right here. He says, and you hath he quickened. Why do we need to be quickened? Because we're dead in trespasses and sin. We are spiritually dead before God. Now, if it wasn't for, except for God's grace, that's where we would all be. In fact, in Psalm chapter 51, I'll just give you a few verses. If you want to go home and read them, they're awesome. They're, they're so good. Uh, in, in Psalm uh, 51, 53 verse 1 it says the fool now I I didn't call him a fool God's calling him fools he says the fool has said in his heart I know some folks that are pretty smart you can get on the internet and you can find a whole lot of smart folks but God says they're fools they may be smart intellectually but they're fools because they don't know God He says right here, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If you run across somebody that says there is no God, that's a foolish individual. God said that. But it gets worse. Rather than point the finger at other folks, he says corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. And then he says there is none good, no, not one. So rather than put ourselves in a position of being judgmental upon others, we right there, aside from the grace of God, are in the very same category as the fool is. In fact, he says God looked down from heaven. God looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and did seek God. And what did he find? Did he find a handful of uh, of faithful folks that were serving him? No, God looked down through the annals of time at natural man and his view. What he found as he looked down through time is that there were none good. That's all of us. No, not one. He says, there's not one good. They did not seek God. Every one of them has gone back altogether. They've all together become filthy. There is none good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3 and chapter 7 reiterate that to us, that there's none that seeketh after God. John chapter 6 tells us that we don't seek him. We don't have the spiritual ability to seek him. We don't have the spiritual life to seek him. It says that he seeks us and he draws us to him. Amen. And he gives us spiritual life. So when you hear the gospel message about Jesus Christ, which is a wonderful message, it's the only message. When you hear the message about Jesus Christ and you believe on Jesus Christ, it's because God has given you spiritual life. You go over and look at the Apostle Paul. When the Lord began to deal with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, it was apparent when God began to deal with him, the preacher wasn't anywhere around. In fact, when the Holy Spirit bade the preacher to go and preach to the Apostle Paul and deliver the message, Ananias says, you know, I, I, I don't, is there somebody else I can go to? I don't really want to go to Paul. I've heard about him. 
And the reputation that he has is that he takes Christians and he imprisons Christians and he'll see that Christians are put to death. And, and Ananias says, I, I don't think I want to go to, to Paul. And he was bidden by the Holy Spirit to say there's a difference in Paul. You go preach to him. And you go tell him what great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. But he described Paul after Paul had visited him with his spirit and quickened him and made him alive. He said, this is how he described him. He said he's a praying man. Folks don't have to understand the doctrine, the gospel, exactly the same way. But if they have a praying heart and they pray to the Lord God Almighty, it's because God has touched them with His Spirit. If they pray to the Lord, that is an evidence that they're a child of the King and that God has done a work within their heart. And you hath He quickened. Who does the quickening? Now, Brother Luke read some wonderful verses that we must be born again. Let me just ask you something. Even those of us that are older, even the young ones, what did you have to do with your natural birth? Cody just had a little boy, Caleb. I wish he was here today. I got so excited when he came last week and precious little boy. But Caleb didn't have anything to do with his natural birth. He didn't. God did. Nor do we have anything to do with our spiritual birth. God does. And God reaches us at his appointed time. Now, we'll wrap it up here. Romans 8, Romans 9. I I, want to touch on that. Bray read just some wonderful scripture. So did Andrew. Real, real good. Andrew it's real, real good. Bray, great scripture. This was one that helped flip the light switch on in my feeble brain. For children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not according to works, but of him that calleth. Bray, here's some encouragement for you right here. The family of God is a large family. We, you're right. We don't know who they are. We have encouragement and we have evidence by the fruit that an individual bears. And that's encouraging to us. But sometimes in our walk, as Brother Steve brought out, sometimes we shouldn't be worried about others. We ought to be concerned about ourselves, about our own self before the Lord. And he says right here that it's not of works, as you pointed out, but it's of him that calleth. He says right here. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. You know, when I really understood that, Bray, when it, when it came to light about God hating anyone, the first response was, just like Bray mentioned, how could God hate anybody? But then when I began to realize what a sinner that I am and what a sinner that others are, the question really came to mind, Bray, was why would God love anybody? God doesn't owe us anything, That's right. but God loves us because of Jesus Christ. And he says right here, he says, there's children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. And by the way, Bray, to encourage you in this and, and all the rest of us right here, the family of God is a big family. It tells us that he has a people out of every nation, kindred and tongue. I'm so glad they're not dependent upon my accent or my uh, ability to speak a foreign language. I'm thankful it's not dependent upon, I like to travel and I like to fly and I like to go. But did you know what? I'm glad it's not dependent upon me getting there or you getting there. It's dependent upon the Lord God planting his spirit and he can find them wherever they are. The preacher just comes on the scene after the Lord does his work. And he begins to tell you what great things you're going to experience in the name of the Lord. But he says right here, he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? When I first heard that, the first time I read through it, the first thing I thought is, I can't believe that's in the scriptures. Really did. 
How could God? It sounds to me like I have been brought up with the understanding that everybody had a chance to to get to heaven. Did you know heaven's not based on chance? It's not. It's based on a sovereign God choosing his people and paying the price for their sins. And so surely this is a common response. I confess it was my response. Is God unfair? Bray, you were right to quickly correct us on this. He says, he says, is there unrighteousness with God? He says, God forbid there may be unrighteousness with us. There may be unrighteousness with others, but there is not unrighteousness with God. What God does is right all the time. We may not understand it. We may question it. We may doubt it. But everything that God does is right. Even salvation. He says, and then this is so good. For he said to Moses, he says, I'm in charge of salvation, Moses. He says, Moses, I'll have compassion upon whom I'll have compassion. I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy. He says, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it is of God that showeth mercy. Now, I believe God has a big family because it describes his family as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. So I believe God has a really big family. I believe he does. I don't believe it's isolated to just one little group or one little band of believers or one one, uh, country. I believe that it's according to the family of God, that he has a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue. It it goes on down. That is such a great chapter that, that Bray read to us right there but i'll I'll, we'll sum it up uh ephesians chapter two and by the way for you young men that read this I, i want you to be really really strong in these basic principles back up into ephesians chapter one it's excellent ephesians chapter one talks about according as he hath chosen you in him from before the foundation of the world our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. You can go over into Revelation and the Lamb's book of life was written from before the foundation of the world. And he says, you can't add anything to it. and You can't take any names from it. So your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, which was written before the foundation of the world. The copyright. I don't know how old this world is. Some say it's 2000. I mean, some say it's 4000, uh, 5000. I don't know exactly how old this world is, but however old it is, the copyright of the Lamb's book of life is older than that. And he says, you can't add any names to it or take any names out of it. Your name was inscribed in there. Now, I don't know if if it's the same name that I use here. I'm not sure how, what name God has given me. Uh, But I guarantee you, if I had access to the book, the first thing I'd turn to is the S's and the B's. I'm not concerned about you, but I'd, I'd begin to look for my name in there. But God has a big book and a big family. And he says right here, all of this is so good in, in Romans chapter, I mean in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace, that means God gives you something you don't deserve. You're saved by grace through faith. Now all of a sudden you might say, all right, I'm claiming a little bit of part because it's my faith. He quickly comes on the scene because you know what? He knows that, that we like to claim a little bit of credit somehow. He says right here, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And he says, and by the way, that's not of yourselves. Did you know that faith is a fruit of the spirit? The spirit is God giving you eternal life. And so when you have faith, when God gives you faith, that's an evidence that you have spiritual life. You've got spiritual life if you have faith. But he says right here, he says, it's not even of yourself. He says, it's not of yourselves. So he quickly comes on the scene and he says, your salvation, you're saved by God's grace. You've been given a gift that you don't deserve. And it's solely by God's grace. And it is a gift of God. And it's not of yourselves. But he says, and then he says, he he gives a whole verse to this. He says, the reason that salvation is not of yourself, he says right here. He says, it's not of works. Because he says, if it was of works, then we'd want to boast about it. We'd want to say, I have a part in it. I helped the Lord out. The Lord did his part. I did my part. Lord draws us and he draws us 100% of the way. And he's effective all the time. He is. He says, not of works, lest any man should boast. God works things in such a way that he gets all the glory. God designed salvation in such a way that he gets 
all the glory. He says, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. That's all we can glory in. And then verse 10. Are good works important? Absolutely they are. Not to get to heaven, but because you're heaven bound. Because you're a citizen of heaven. He says right here, for we are his workmanship. Romans chapter 9 tells us that he's the potter, we're the clay. We are his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It's all of him. It's all of grace. And we're just the wonderful beneficiaries of God's amazing grace. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.